Okay, well, good morning. Uh, my name's Dave. I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine uh, Church in Paul. Now, we started a series uh, last week on 1 Thessalonians, which is the 13th book in the New Testament. Now, if you want to understand the content and the context and history of this book, uh, this can be found by reading the book of Acts, chapters 16 and 17. I recommend that. Now, what is 1 Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians is a letter written to the congregation of a new church which has been established by the Apostle Paul in the city of Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica, you may or may not know this, is currently Greece's second city. Did you know that? Okay, has anybody ever been to Thessalonica? Because it's a very popular tourist destination, apparently. Obviously not that popular. Okay, but, but it's supposed to be one of, the, one of the best places to go. Thessalonica, a lot of history. So if you get the opportunity, let me know, and uh, it'd be great to find out what you will see there. Lots to see. Uh, around 50 AD, uh, which is the time we're talking about, it was already a thriving seaport and center for trade and business with a population of around 200,000. Similar to here, I guess, uh, a few more than we've got in Paul. Now, as Tim mentioned last week, uh, Paul and Silas had arrived in Thessalonica uh, having just established a church in Philippi, which is about 100 miles north. Now, in Philippi, they'd been stripped, beaten, and imprisoned, and then miraculously delivered from prison and escorted by officials out of the city. Now, you can read about that in Acts chapter 16. I do recommend you read it because that's really interesting and it's really inspiring. I'd encourage you to read that. It's really important. Now, when Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he spent the first three weeks in the Jewish synagogue, uh, reasoning with the Jews from the scripture and preaching the good news about Jesus. And we read in Acts 17 that some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Now, so here was the first church plant much to the annoyance of the Jews at the time, who were incensed, and it says they were also jealous. And they, what they did is the Jews went down to the marketplace, they rounded up some unsavory characters, and they caused a riot in the city. So much so that Paul and Silas, again, had to be escorted out of the city for fear of their life. So what they did is they moved down to the next city, which was a city called Berea. Now, Berea uh, was very different. The Berean people accepted them readily because the Bible says that they were of more noble character than those people in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek men and women, another church plant in Berea. But then the Jews in Thessalonica got to hear about this. They sent a posse down to Berea, stirred up a riot in the city, and here we go again. Paul and Silas get turfed out of the city. They go. Paul goes to Athens, and then he moves on to Corinth. And you know about Corinth and the, the church in uh, Corinth. And in Corinth is where Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonian church. He's had to abandon the Thessalonian church, and he's left them with all this opposition, new Christians. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be a new Christian in the Thessalonian church? 
Now, Paul knew that they needed to be really grounded and encouraged in their faith if they were to survive this type of opposition. So as Tim brought uh, last week from the first chapter, uh, God through Paul encouraged the Thessalonian Christians that if they were to make an impact on their city, they needed to walk the walk to be an example to others, not to follow culture, but to change culture by their actions and their attitude. And Tim left us with this rhetorical question last week. Are you and I an example to others? Are you and I an example to others? Do we follow culture or do we change culture? So we're picking up in uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, 2 to see what we can learn from this letter if we're to have an impact as Christians in our culture today. So I'm going to look at three things. The first is from verses 1 to 4. So if you want to look it up in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, you can get one from over there. Uh, but 1 Thessalonians chapter, t- uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And also want to pick up a couple of things from verses uh, 11 through to 13. It reads like this. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, and this is point one, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Point one, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Then through to verse 11, uh, Paul goes on to say, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to, point two, to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And verse 13 says, and we also thank, thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, point three, really important this one, listen hard on this one. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So what Paul is saying to us as Christians, we are not in the business of people pleasing. But we are doing what is pleasing to God. We don't have to please people. We please God. That's the importance of it. So what things are pleasing to God? Well, let's start with something really basic. And I want to do something really basic as well. Because... You really do need to hear this and listen. I needed to listen and hear this. If you're able to grasp this that I'm going to tell you now, it will transform your life. It will. I promise you, it will transform your life. But in order to grasp it, you've got to hear it well. Okay? The reason I say this is because sometimes we just hear words and they mean nothing. When we were singing earlier, many of us would have just been singing words because we've sung songs before 
And we've heard those songs before, and they become just words. We become immune to just hearing words. We switch on autopilot, and our worship becomes meaningless. We can be distracted. Now, I have no idea where your mind is right now. No idea whatsoever. You could be thinking about the dinner. I don't know. You could be texting on your phone or looking at Facebook rather than looking at the Word of God. I have no idea. And this is why I'm asking you to not be distracted. There may be sin in your life which tends to make us defensive. It can make us selective over the parts of God's Word we want to hear. Have you ever been in that place? I have. We may switch off because we've heard it all before. And I think this is a real problem for people like me who have been a Christian for a long time. We can allow our relationship with God to go stale. We can lose our first love and we can hanker after what could have been or what was. But God wants us to live and breathe in the now. We are here now for his purpose. Now, another point, can, we can be upset at God for a particular circumstance. We can be upset at somebody else. And therefore, we don't hear. There are a host of reasons why we will not listen. But I want you to hear God's word this morning. I want you to listen because it is so, so powerful. If you get it, if you get it, it will change you. I promise it will change you. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So quite clearly, we start here at the point of faith. How do we get faith? Well, Romans 10, verse 17, you've heard it loads of times and you might have switched off already. Don't switch off at this point. Romans 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Now, this is what I want to pick up in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2. Where it says this, it says, When you received the word of God, you accepted it, not as the words of men. So it's not my words, okay? If you don't like my style, if you don't like the way I preach, that makes no point, no difference this morning. It's about what the word of God says. You accepted it, not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which, has, which is at work in you, believers. So it's something which is working in you. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this. It says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the word does. It pierces you right through to your heart. It does something. It's the rema, the power and worth of God. You see the word of God, whether it's read from the Bible, received through prophecy, spoken in your conscience, when we hear it, it has a supernatural impact on us. The Holy Spirit within us recognizes it and it stirs faith within the believer. The Holy Spirit recognizes the word of God and it stirs faith in your heart. Without faith, 
it's impossible to please God. Let me give you a quick example. I was in the car uh, this week feeling flat. You ever feel flat? Sometimes you just don't feel great. And I put on that song, that it's a hill song, and it's, it's the Creed song. You heard it? Starts off, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. I believe in the name of Jesus. And I began to sing it and something spoke to my spirit and it lifted my spirit because it's the word of God which speaks to the Holy Spirit which is within you and it builds faith and it changes you. The word of God is powerful. The problem is we don't listen well. If you're struggling in your faith at the moment or just don't get it, understand that God's word brings life. We all know that if we didn't eat for a month, we'd soon get weak and ineffective. And that's exactly the same as if we neglect our spiritual walk. Our faith will become weak and ineffective. Other things crowd in, and before you know it, you, you're dead. You're dead, and your spiritual life is dead. Smith Wigglesworth, do you, do you remember God? There's a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. He was a very famous preacher. Uh, back in, uh, he was born in, in the 1860s. He died in 1947. Great preacher. People, actually, people here may have heard him speak. I don't know. No. Okay, 1947. Give your age away there, wouldn't you? He was a very powerful preacher. He saw many miracles because he just believed God for everything. He just believed God. He didn't accept anything apart just from believing God. And he says there are four principles we need to maintain. First, read the word of God. Second, consume the word of God until it consumes you. Thirdly, believe the word of God. And fourthly, act on the word. He also said this, there is nothing impossible with God. All the impossibility is with us when we measure God by the limitations of our unbelief. Absolutely right. The next part of Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So in order to hear God's voice, the onus is on us to go and seek and read the word of God and to understand, not just read the word of God, but to seek after the prophetic word for our life. God, what is it that you're trying to do? How are you trying to speak to me? What do you want to say to me? It's the word of God into your life that changes uh, you and me. A couple of brief uh, examples. Uh, some years ago, Sharon and I went to um, one of those global, um, global summit things um, with Willow Creek. Uh, quite a few people, I think, came from the church here. Uh, I don't think there's anybody here this morning. But um, during that summit, one of the ministers preached, and he preached a sermon on uh, substitutional atonement. Now, you might think, I don't even know what that is. Substitutional atonement. Well, I would encourage you, go find it and go read about it. Because then you can understand what substitutional atonement is. Basically, what he did, he paralleled the Old Testament teaching of the atonement and the scapegoat and the lamb and the, the, the death of the lamb with Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. It was so powerful. I remember Sharon being so stirred by that message. She couldn't stop talking about it all the time. People got to know about that. They must know about that. It's so important. It stirred her faith. 
And many of us would have experienced the same thing when we've heard the word of God and it's witnessed to our spirit and it's brought us alive. I remember the day I became a Christian. Our pastor was preaching about forgiveness which comes as a result of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and I got it for the first time. I got it for the first time. I saw it. And the Holy Spirit branded it in my heart and I wept uncontrollably, gave my life to Christ along with 28 other people got saved that evening because the message and the power of God was just there. It's that eureka moment. Have you heard about that eureka moment? Archimedes. You know Archimedes? You may remember it from your maths lessons. Okay, Archimedes got in his bath and suddenly he realized that the volume of water displaced when he got in the bath was equal to the volume of the amount of his submerged body mass. He shouted, Eureka! Yes! I found it. I found the principle. Now, not everybody loves maths here, do they? But let me tell you something about maths. There was nothing better sitting in a maths lesson when you've got it, when you've got the principle. Because once you've got the principle and you applied it every time, you always got the right answer. And that's what I would say about the word of God. If you apply the principle of the word of God, we receive it into our hearts, we will always get the right answer. I got a letter from the bank this week, Nat West. It says, Dear Mr. Gawler, as part of our terms and conditions with you, we need to write to you to tell you when our registered address is changing. So we just wanted to let you know that from the 14th of December, our registered office will move from 135 Bishopsgate to 250 Bishopsgate. Fantastic. I thought, well, what was the point of that? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even care where the registered office was before. I, I, I care even less now. And I thought, I got two of these letters because I've got two accounts. So I got two. So if there's 100,000 customers across the country, there could have been hundreds of thousands of these letters gone out. But then I got to thinking about it. Was it really a waste of time? Because if you need to complain at the highest level, you have to write to the CEO. And the CEO of the bank, you have to address the letter to the registered office. So in the unlikely case that I need to do that, I do now have access to the CEO. And what I'm trying to say is sometimes there are parts of the Bible that we find difficult to read or understand, but remember it is there for a reason. Otherwise it wouldn't be there. So treat all of God's word with the honor it deserves. One day you may need that passage of scripture to awaken your spirit. One day, I may need to make a complaint and I will go straight to the top. I have been to the top of organizations in the past and made formal complaints. 
And when that happens, goodness me, do people move down the bottom chain? I remember getting an executive complaint on my desk one day at work. Everything stops. Whatever you're doing, however important it is, everything stops for an executive complaint. And you have to answer that first before you do anything else. Now, what else pleases God? Well, uh, very briefly, being spiritually minded pleases God. In Romans 8, 6 to 8, it says this. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if you've given your life to Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you and you have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God's Spirit lives within you. What else pleases God? To fear God pleases God. Uh, Psalm 147, 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Now, I'd like to do something. I'd like to involve you in this. And I want some people to come out the front. Uh, and I'm going to pick a couple from the back, uh, one from this side, and one from this side. And I want you to come and tell me right now what your understanding of justification by faith is. Okay? How are you feeling? Eh? Are you feeling energized? What you've experienced is fear. Oh, gosh. What you've experienced is fear. Your heart fluttered. Because suddenly you thought, oh, what if he picks me? I don't know what my understanding of justification by faith is. What, what am I going to say? If I get up there, am I going to look stupid? Am I going to look like I'm not a very good Christian because I don't know what that means? All of those things. Oh, and what about, it? well, I hate talking in front of people. And suddenly all the energy goes out of your legs. But you see, fear sharpens the senses. Because I bet for a second there you were listening really hard. <laughs> weren't you? You were, weren't you? You were listening. You were on. You were heightened alert. You may have experienced a little heart flutter. But the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If I cast my mind back to my childhood, and my lovely mum is here this morning, I remember having a healthy fear of my parents. And I believe that's really important. I was very blessed to be looked after and loved. I've been very blessed. I always knew that they had my best interests at heart. But I also learned that life was a lot easier when I was obedient. And I did the things that I was told and not the things that I wanted to do. And I think that's a healthy fear of God. Because, you know, reverence for God and understanding that we are totally reliant on his mercy should prompt us, as it says in verse 11 of our Bible reading, to walk in a manner worthy of God. There are many other examples that we read in the Bible that I could have talked about uh, this morning. 
where it says that God delights in us, where he finds all sorts of things about us that pleases him, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and we're special to him, and we're made in his image. All of those things, he cares for us. But there are certain things that please him. So what can we learn today from 1 Thessalonians 2? We're encouraged as Christians to please God rather than please man. How do we do this? By having faith, by understanding that there is a spiritual realm in which God works and that we live in the spirit, not in the flesh. And also by fearing God. We're to walk in a manner that is worthy of our saviour. And we're to accept the word of God, and this is so, so important, to accept the word of God as it actually is. God's word, not man's word. Powerful and active. Building faith and changing circumstances. So important. Let's pray, shall we? As uh, just, I'll just pass back to Tim. Hebrews 4 verse 7 says this, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Holy Spirit, come, we pray this morning, and help us to realize who you are and what you've done and what you can achieve when we just have faith. Lord, we want to be pleasing to you as Christians. We want to do the things that you want us to do, not waste our time doing stuff which is just ineffective. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us from what Paul says in the book of Thessalonians today. Teach us, Lord, how to have faith by reading your word and imbibing it and consuming it. Help us, Lord, to walk worthy of our calling and help us, Lord God, to live spiritually uh, before you. Help us, Lord, because we are weak. We recognize that there are all sorts of things which drag us to one side. And I pray, Lord, that we will uh, make that commitment to you to say, Lord, you have done this for me. I want to give my life to you. But I want to move in the spiritual realm. And I want to do the things that you want me to do. I want to see people be led to you. I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see my life full of faith. I want to see uh, my life healing the sick, having prophetic 